Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Well, uh, hello everyone. Uh, If we haven't met, my name's John, and uh, I have the great privilege of becoming part of the St. Matt's family over the last... I think this is our fourth week, uh, so my wife and I uh, have joined, and uh, we have loved being welcomed so incredibly by you, uh, and our girls as well. They feel so safe in this place. It's awesome. Well, Coles, vanilla, bean, ice cream, and sprinkles. Probably one of the best post-dinner or post-lunch foods. Uh, but you remember being taught in high school, right, about uh, maybe you had the pyramid, or maybe you had the plate about, you know, making sure that you eat everything in moderation. Well, it was 2017. It was my first year of Bible college. Eliza and I were studying and our first child, Pippa, was born. And uh, she was about one month old. But the thing about Pippa was that she didn't really want to leave the womb. And so there was a bunch of complications that happened for Eliza. Um, but after about a month, we saw a doctor and the doctor was like, oh, look, this can happen and excellent, you know, we're at this new stage of life. She's beginning to heal. Awesome. So what did Eliza want to do to celebrate? Well, she said she wanted vanilla bean ice cream, Coles vanilla bean ice cream, and hundreds and thousands. So that's what we did. Being the awesome husband that I am, I walked across the road to Coles um, and bought vanilla bean ice cream and hundreds and thousands, came home, and we celebrated. Uh, and it was awesome. We, we enjoyed a good thing, right? And then the next night... We had some Coles vanilla bean ice cream and hundreds of thousands and I, we ate it again and the following night and the following night uh, and well, a simple practice that developed into a habit, I would say, uh, slowly by slowly, we realised that every night for six weeks, we ate vanilla bean ice cream with hundreds of thousands and it was dangerous because... Well, I started to put on some excellent weight. We needed to take care how we celebrated. We needed to take care how we used that ice cream. Otherwise, the ice cream would use us. Today's passage is not about ice cream. It's not about, uh, you know, bad eating habits. But it is about something that is dangerous. There is a caution in this passage that you need to hear tonight. Do you remember the safety data sheets at school that you got told about in chemistry? It was like a piece of paper and it tells you like all the different kind of things that you need to be aware of and how to, some of you don't. Okay, well, it happened for me. Um, well, this is, this is what Paul has got for himself. He's got the safety data sheet for the power of money, of what is dangerous about money. Over the heart of the Corinthian church, he recognised that for the church and for himself, And for the Macedonian church, for everyone, that money can be dangerous. And we're smack bang in the middle of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8 and chapter 9, and we come to this passage. I want to give you a quick bit of background just to help you to understand. Now, I copied my map from Murray. Where are you, Murray? Yeah. See? Is it good? Yeah, awesome. Good. Yeah, great. So, um... Macedonia, what was happening was uh, these uh, Christians in the northern region of Greece, Macedonia, um, they were giving towards people in Jerusalem, towards Christians in Jerusalem. Why were they giving towards Christians in Jerusalem? Well, that's because uh, the Christians in Jerusalem, when they became Christians, they were kicked out of the synagogue, 
They were kicked out of their family and they were kicked out of their support networks. And then what happened was there was a famine and when that famine came, there was no one there to support them. And so Paul, being the man that he is, the man of God, he recognised that there was a duty of Christians to care for those Christians. He feels this determination to help the church. And so as the churches of Macedonia and Corinth worked together, what would happen is that uh, Paul was sending people from Macedonia down to Corinth with money from Macedonia and the churches up there to come and collect the money from Corinth to then go to the church in Jerusalem, to those who were in need. And this is where we find ourselves today in 2 Corinthians. And now, I don't know about you when we read 2 Corinthians just then, but I read it and I was like, what are we meant to do with this passage? How, how does this passage, how do we apply this to ourselves today? Why do we need to know about who took this generous gift to Jerusalem? Why do we need to know who took it where and a little bit of their character reference? And I've got to be honest, when Ron uh, gave me the passage, uh, I underestimated the importance of this passage. But as I prayed this week and as I pray you'll see today, there is a message to be read amongst chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And that is that we are to take care how we use money or money will use us. Take care how you use money or money will use you. It's a heart issue. Now, I think you can see uh, that Paul, there's kind of two sections that we're going to go, go through. Uh, the first one is, he says, trust me or trust us. And that's kind of up to verse 23. And then the next bit is, just do it. So, let's get into where he says, trust me or trust us. Um, it's essentially a character reference for a bunch of, a bunch of blokes, right? Uh, who were the, kind of the ancient armour guard donkey cart of the time. You know, armor guard with a truck that has all the money and they travel. This is what they were. And there's, there's the three. I wonder if you saw them. We've got Titus, the brother, and then the other brother. Uh, so let's, let's see what we learn about who they are. Titus, well, we see that he is one of Paul's close mates in ministry. He's about proclaiming Jesus. And also uh, that we see in verse 16 that Titus had the same concern that Paul had for the church in Corinth that they'd be growing as disciples of Jesus in this way of giving generously. So that's Titus. Then we had the brother, if you look at verse 18, who was praised by all the churches. Or if you have um, other translations, might say something like famous among all the churches. So he's famous uh, for his, what does it say, preaching. So this might very well be the first like celebrity pastor. I don't know. Uh, but... Honestly, people have actually used this passage to talk about the importance of celebrity pastors or not. Anyway, we're not going to go there tonight because that's not what Paul is on about here. He's on about generosity, about the generosity of the gospel that we've given and how that changes their lives. So, Titus, the brother, and then the other brother in verse 22, it says that this guy, he is zealous, that he's passionate about this gift and even more so because of his great confidence in the church in Corinth. So Paul seems to be showing us this character reference for these three blokes. And um, he's showing their desire to make Jesus known and growing disciples into maturity as they challenge them on giving and encourage them to give. 
So why was Paul sending these guys to bring the money from Macedonia down to Corinth and through to Jerusalem? Well, the ancient armor guard truck of the time, they didn't have to have police checks. It wasn't about you know, whether they had been criminals or anything like that, but it was the heart checks. It was, do these men follow Jesus? Are they above board? Are they accountable? Were their hearts in the right place? Do they actually love Jesus and want to see their Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem to receive this gift to help them to be fed? Why did Paul send them together? Well, I think because Paul understood that money is dangerous. That money can grab your heart. You might remember a couple of weeks ago about Chris talking to us about how our rooms, our hearts don't have much room. And this is one of those things that can take over the the room in our hearts. Money. Money can take over our desires, our thoughts, our ethics, leaving us no room in our heart for the things of Jesus. So take care how you use money or money will take your heart. Money will use you. So why was Paul sending these guys? Well, I think so that no one person is open to temptation. That it wasn't just like Paul sending himself with a bunch of money that could use it all for himself. That they can keep each other accountable as men of God and that they were guarding their hearts from letting money take hold of their heart. But Paul even says more in verse 20. Uh, He says this, he says, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift or this generous gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in in the eyes of man. People knew that money takes people's hearts, right? And Paul didn't want people thinking that this collection in the name of Jesus was actually just a collection for his own pocket. He said that they wanted to do what was right in God's eyes, which was to be generous, and right in the eyes of men, of other people, not pocketed in for himself. Paul knew money was dangerous, right? And he was separating himself from this liberal gift uh, for the church in Jerusalem. So he keeps himself and the ancient Armagard donkey cart accountable. And then he returns back to the encouragement of last week's passage. So he says, trust us, right? We're, we're keeping each other accountable. Uh, these men are men of God and, and we are taking care of how we use money so that the money doesn't use us. And then he goes on to talk about, well, you've been eager to give, so just do it. Now, you might remember uh, a few years back, uh, a dude named Shia LaBeouf, uh, and he was walking around in front of a camera like this. And he's like, just do it. Does anyone remember that? Yeah. Well, I think this is what it is, right? It's Paul's just do it. You are eager. He's saying to the Corinth church, you are eager to give. You've told me this. I've seen this in you. So just do it. Yeah, that's right. He says, you've again been really eager about giving to the church in Jerusalem. You were passionate about giving in this way. Now finish what was started. Just do it. 
And that's this section from verse 24 through to verse 5. He was really saying, you are eager to do this, now prove it. Follow through with your actions. With, with, uh, with your actions, yeah. He wants their proposed gift to actually be given. He, doesn't, he wants their gift, their promise, to actually leave their wallets. Look with me back at chapter 8, verse 11. Um, he says this, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched with the completion of it according to your means. And then again, he says to them again that they're eager in verse 2 of chapter 9. He says, For I know your eagerness to help. And I've even been boasting about it to other Christians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia, which is that region, so Corinth, were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So their eager willingness, even though the money hadn't been given, had encouraged the church up in Macedonia to give. And Paul knew that they were eager to give. Now, um, do you ever have those times in your life where you have been challenged by something uh, or maybe you see this like really beautiful diary and it's like leather bound and you're like, I'm going to use a diary this year. So you buy it and you're really eager to do it. But then, you know, your first week you fill out the diary, everything's sorted and then the following weeks it's like it just whittles down. Or maybe it's something like ice cream into hundreds and thousands where you realise you've been eating it for six weeks straight and then you realise, oh, I really should stop that. But then oh, just one more night, you know, I'll just have one more, one more bowl of ice cream. You know, when you felt like you're eager to do something but then it doesn't come out in practice. Well, Paul gets that. And he's not giving the church in, in Corinth like an ultimatum. He's not saying, you know, if you don't do this, then you don't really love them. He's not saying that. But he is saying, you said that you're going to give, and so prove it. It's an encouragement. He even says, I don't feel like it's necessary for me to tell you this, but I want to encourage you to do this. Verse 3, he says, But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. That they're boasting, that Paul's boasting about them wouldn't be emptied of his words, that wouldn't mean nothing. And so their repentance and faith was to bear fruit through their giving as they said they would. He's saying, oh Corinthians, prove it, give it. Show that you have not received the grace of God, this generous gift in vain. He says, take care how you use your money or money will use you. Now, when, when they give, Paul's actually, he goes on to talk about how they share in, in the grace of God. Um, you know, that Paul keeps urging them to share in the grace of God, to share in this liberal gift that we've been given. You know, after all, last week we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, what did he say? He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And this is the gospel. The gospel itself is a gospel of generosity, good news of generosity. And that... This generous gift which we've been given, which is that Jesus would live the life that we could never live. That he would then die the death on the cross that we deserve to die because of all of our selfishness and, and, and sin in our own lives. So he died that death, taking the punishment for us. And then three days later he rose again from the den, dead, defeating death and sin. 
This is the generous gift we've been given. And so when we give generously, we get to participate in the grace that God has shown us. And this giving isn't about making us look good. It's not about making any one person look good. It's not about even making St. Matt's look good. But it's actually about making God look great. To share in the grace that we have received in Jesus. That we are called to be generous with our money. So, what? What does this mean for us today in 2022? What does all of this mean for us? How do we protect our hearts from being taken by money and not by Jesus? Well, I think Paul gives us two things that I want to quickly talk through uh, that fit under that one title that I gave you earlier. Be careful how you use money or money will use you. And we're going to talk about first, we're going to talk about the church, St. Matt's as a whole, and then we're going to talk about individuals um, as what does it mean for us individually as Christians Uh, What does that look like? So, let's talk about church at St. Matt's. Um, What does it look like for us to take care as a church how we use money or money will use us as the church? Well, we want to use our money to honour God, to bring glory to his name. The early church cared about it and we today are called to care about it as well. Now, this might be one of those points where you start to switch off because you're like, oh, money talks again at church. Um, But this is really important because if we don't think about the way that our church uses money, then we are in real danger that men and women in our church will be taken by money, that their hearts will be taken by money. Um, I want to say, first of all, that I've seen St. Matt's uh, generosity in amazing ways already. Hearing about the Community Assistance Fund a couple of weeks ago and how we are giving to people who are in need, that is sharing in the grace of God, being generous to those around us. And so when you see something like that happening in our church, celebrate. That should bring us into thanksgiving as, as we hear about what God is doing through our church. Well, we want to be generous, but we also want to think about, uh, as we come up to things like Thanksgiving Day, how money is used and looked after, um, you see, I asked uh, Ron uh, about how do we use money at St. Matt's? Uh, how do we make sure that we're protecting the hearts of men and women who have anything to do with money? Maybe whether it's counting money um, or staff or those kind of things. And you see, we need transparency and we need accountability for those who have anything to do with money in our church because we want to protect them. And we want those gifts that we give to be used in a godly way. So here's a couple of things that happen at St. Matt's that we do to protect the hearts of the men and women who have anything to do with money, but also to keep each other accountable. So whenever money is counted, we always try to have two people counting money and that there's a ledger. Um, staff, we can't see who gives direct debit. Um, reports are made every year to parish council with a list of you know, what money has been used uh, at the AGM, but you can also ask for them at any point. If you're like, oh, actually, I'd like to have a look at it, and I'd encourage you to do that because it's keeping the people who are looking after money accountable. Um, have a look at it and actually see what, does it, what is our money being used for. Uh, and then we also get a report after Thanksgiving Day, which is, when is it? Next week, that's right. Excellent, good. Um, we get a report after that as to how much money has been given and you know, where that money is going to be used. Uh, when spending is made in a church account, there's always two signatories. Uh, there's, I can't go and sign off my own reimbursements for myself. Uh, you know, there's nothing like that. Um, and staff, generally, we try not to handle money. Um, and if you have any questions about any of that, 
I'd encourage you, chat to Ron, chat to any of the wardens that you know, um, and they would be able to help you understand that more. And you're actually called to do that if you're a believer in Jesus. You want to keep each other accountable. We want to protect each other's hearts. So that's the church. Then let's think about us individually. So if you're not yet a Christian, um, this might feel really weird hearing a talk about money and giving. But uh, one of the things that Paul says later in 2 Corinthians, he says to the church, is he says, I don't want your possessions, I want you. You can look at it in, in chapter 12. Um, coming to Jesus is, is the important thing for you, that you would find this generous gift that has been given in Jesus, that Jesus would lay down his life for you so that you would never have to face the punishment for your sin and selfishness. That is the generous gift which we've been given. And maybe today you're like, I really want that. I want to take that generous gift. If that is you, please talk to someone that you came with, talk to myself or anyone that you see up the front here because we would love to help you to receive that gift because it's super easy. Um, So there's that. Then if you are a Christian today, um, if you do love Jesus, well, When you come to Jesus, your attitude towards money, your view towards money, how you use money, changes. Remember how we looked at Zacchaeus and how we saw when Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, he frauded people of incredible amounts of money. But when he met Jesus, what did he do? Well, he said, I'm going to give to the needy. And anyone that I have ripped off, I'm going to give them four times the amount back. His heart had let go of the money and had taken hold of Jesus. Your money, if you are a Christian, your money is no longer yours. And Jesus has given you everything that you need. Everything. Uh, And this week, for Elias and I, uh, we sat down to work out a budget. It's a really fun adulting thing that if you haven't done it, you should give it a go. Um, But when you sit down and do a budget, pray, pray, And ask that Jesus would work in your heart so that you would be generous. So that money wouldn't take a hold of your heart. And I just want to say, it's really hard to let go of money sometimes. Because we hold up money as, you know, the big story of our lives that, you know, it's the way that we get success and comfort. But it's holding out a lie to you. Um, Jesus has something far greater. Well, today, as we have seen the way that Paul wanted to keep men accountable, uh, that he wanted to hold up these men as men who love Jesus, but they would hold each other accountable. And as, as they were encouraging the Corinth church, the Corinthian church to be generous, I want to encourage you and encourage myself to take care how you use money. Or money is going to use you. Money will take your heart. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you so much that you have been generous to us, incredibly generous, that you have given us, Jesus, your one and only Son, uh, that he would live the life that we could never live, uh, one that was full of grace and love and mercy. Um, And Lord, he was the one that would die on the cross for us uh, to take the punishment for our sin and to give us life in him to give us life in the full. 
So Lord, we pray uh, as we think about the way that our hearts may have, taken, may have been taken hold by money, Lord, would you free our hearts from that grip? Would you, Jesus, take hold of our hearts? Would you be the king of our desires, the king of our thoughts, the king of our ethics, the king of our entire life, that we would hold on to Jesus and the hope that he gives us of eternal life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.